The church at Thessalonica is a wonderful church. We can learn much from them. Uh, they face much persecution. But it was started by Paul on a second missionary journey prior to his imprisonment uh, with Silas at Philippi. Uh, Acts 17 tells us that when Paul had come to Thessalonica, he reasoned with them out the scriptures in the synagogue for three Sabbath days. So that's a, we know that he was there for at least three weeks. Uh, a great multitude of Greeks believed, and the Bible says of the chief women, not a few. Many, however, did not believe. The envious Jews started a riot and assaulted the house of Jason, a convert who housed Paul and Silas to bring them out into the, the, into the people. However, they did not find them, so they punished Jason and other believers. Uh, the church at Thessalonica then sent Paul and Silas away by night for their protection. However, when the Jews discovered Paul was preaching in Berea, where the church had sent them, the envious Jews pursued after them and disrupted them there as well. So the, We know that the, the Jews that were at the church at Thessalonica were, were quite ruthless. They did not, they did not accept um, Paul's message of the gospel. Uh, we know there are some that we believe it is mostly mostly. Gentiles, it says uh, the Greek women, but no doubt there's probably some. But there's much we can learn, and the book of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians has, Paul is writing to them to encourage them and to strengthen their faith because of this persecution and to exhort them that they had, they had problems just like any church. Um, churches have problems because they're made up of sinners. I was talking to a lady when we were knocking on doors, and, and she said that she, she didn't, couldn't find a good church because every church she got a part of, there's problems there, and she had to leave. So I wanted to tell her, well, don't come here if you're not looking, you know, don't come to our church because we're full of sinners. We're, we're sinners. We, our church has problems. I have problems. You have problems. But we're supposed to be striving to overcome those problems. But uh, look at, uh, let's see, we're going to start off in chapter 14, verses 13 through 18, I'm going to continue on and read chapter uh, 15 or chapter 5 as well. First Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. It says, "But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again." Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness." that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Wherefore, or therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. 
For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet of hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from all appearances of evil, and the very God of peace that sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So first, back at chapter uh, chapter 4, as I said, the church at Thessalonica was facing much persecution. But Paul told them concerning those that, that had fallen asleep in verse 13, he says, Sorrow not, you know, even, even as others which have no hope. You know, those that have gone on before us that we know accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior in the living, we, we don't need a sorrow for them. You know, this life is but for a moment. Even ourselves, we ought not, we ought not live life in fear of death. Because you know, this life is, is just but for a small moment. And what, what we do with this life is what's going to count. Now, this life is not what you know, it's all about. But he tells them to sorrow not. You know, no doubt they had friends. They had others that had been persecuted, that had been killed. And you know, some believe that Maybe they hadn't, they didn't understand that that you know the Lord wasn't gonna to, to have you know the, the rapture wasn't gonna take place and that they were gonna face judgment. But I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think maybe Paul was just reminding them of the, the truths that they had taught them, and he's just trying to encourage them. Sorrow not, you know. We often need to be be encouraged. So we need not to sorrow at persecution or be surprised when persecution cometh. 1 Timothy 3, verses 12 through 14 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. He says, hey, we can be assured of those things. You know, you're going to suffer persecution, but hey, you know, I, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord loves you. He's going to take care of you, and he's, He hasn't appointed us to wrath, as we see you know, later on in the verses. 
But we see a contrast here between the unbelieving and the believing. Many take chapter 5 and they use the verse and say, you know, the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. Well, to the Christians, his, the whole point of this is he's telling them, you know the Lord's coming. He's not going to come as a thief to the unsaved. You, we know that Christ is coming. But to the ungodly, he's going to come as a thief. You know, you and I, you and I would be scared of a thief, wouldn't we? If someone's going to, to come and break into our house and take our seven, wouldn't that be fearful? But the Lord's not a thief to us. It says that they will say, peace and safety, then will come sudden destruction, and they shall not escape. They shall not escape. So we know the Lord's not appointed us to wrath. We know there's going to be a seven-year tribulation period and that the Lord beforehand is going to deliver us because he hasn't appointed us to wrath. Why would the Lord put us through that? And, and for those that, you know, that deny the, 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 the rapture, you have to completely just throw away 1 Thessalonians to, to, to say that. But the Lord hasn't appointed us to wrath, but, though, but there are some that he has. And we see a contrast. It says... They will not escape. Look at Luke chapter, uh, let's see, Luke chapter 12. Uh, Starting in verse 16 through uh, verses 21. It says, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of the certain rich man brought forth plentiful fruit, or plentiful, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruit? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat. Drink and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So we see there are many, and there's going to be many in that time. They're going to be saying, Peace, we know that the beginning of the, of the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to come and he's going to bring world peace. And people are going to think, you know, we're okay. We don't know what just happened to all those people, but we're okay. <laughs> and, and they're going to say peace and safety, and they're going to think, you know, you know, life is great. We're all okay. You know, I'm sure there was a fearful period of time when, when all these planes were falling out of the sky and vehicles were crashing all over the place. But eventually, this, this Antichrist will convince them that, you know, there's going to be peace. It's all all right. It's all okay. No, I know that these people, no, no doubt Christians are going to have witnessed to the unsaved and told them about you know, the rapture and about the Lord's coming again. Don't you think that they would think about that a little bit after all the Christians that they know are gone? I think they will. But, so we see that there's a contrast. But then we see also the saved, verses, or chapter 5, 
verses 2 through 3, of back at our text of 1 Thessalonians. It says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night, for they shall say peace and safety. Then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Now, the gist of my message I want to speak on is being a light. We call our church Lighthouse Baptist Church. I think that's very fitting. And we're going to see over and over again the Lord compares. You know, we know that God is light, but he shows the contrast between light and darkness. And this world is just in complete darkness. And the only, the only way out, the only, safe, the only thing that's going to make sense to them is something that the Lord has, the Lord has shown them. Now, if you were to take out all the Christians and take out the Bible and take, take out, you'd go to, it pretty much would be the same thing as going to a primitive country that, that's never heard the gospel and that has, has, you know, doesn't have a language. That's complete darkness. And the only reason America is the way that it is today is because of the light of the gospel. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here. But we're supposed to be children of the light. We're supposed to be, we call ourselves Christians. That, that really means little Jesuses. Like Christ is what that is. So we know the Lord is coming again. And that's why Paul told them, told them to sorrow not. We have hope. What a contrast we have with the unbelieving in Christ. The exhortation is then that we, we have the responsibility to be children of the light of the gospel. Matthew 5 Look over at Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. It says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So, you know, we're supposed to be a light on, the can on a candlestick. The book of Revelations compares the church to, to a candlestick. We are God's candlestick. And we're supposed to be the light of the world. We're supposed to be the ones that, you know, there were studies. I was, I was, when I was looking, studying for this message, at the effects of darkness. There's been several studies on the effects of darkness. That's why these, these cities and things, they they fun lights is because people people don't regularly you know rob or murder people or rape people in in, in the light but even with um, not even those things sensuality bars they're dark uh, even though there's some there's some stores you go into and they're dark and it's because men love darkness rather than light and it's it's so backwards what God intended We are supposed to be the light of the world. We're not supposed to be of that darkness. There cannot be light and darkness in God's church. There must be unity. You know, if you put if you put light, if you put a light up, there's no darkness in that light. Now, if we're if we're supposed to be a candlestick, there's not supposed to be any darkness in that candlestick. 
light forces out darkness. It's quite the opposite. And and all, all darkness really is, if you look at the book of Genesis, there's never a point where the Lord created darkness. He created light. And all, all darkness is the absence of light. It's the absence of God himself. But First John uh, 1, 5 through 7 says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. I said that there must be unity. This verse tells us if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Now, Nathan and I have a lot of differences. And me and Brother Howard or Brother Hoyle, whichever you want me to call you, or Howard, <laughs> now that you're my father-in-law or dad, <laughs> we have a lot of differences. <laughs> but one thing we have in common is our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes I don't necessarily get along with, with people of the world. I, I do. You know, I, I talk with them. I think, but we don't have, there, there's, there's really not a whole lot we have in common. Because men love darkness rather than light. They, they, they crave, they desire wickedness. They desire, they desire to live in darkness. And how can I be buddy-buddy with this person and have great fellowship with this person if their desire is to constantly walk in darkness? You can't do it. That's why the Bible tells, tells the church, come out from, I'm getting ahead of myself again, come out from among them, be separate. But if we walk in the light, in the light of God's word, and the light of truth, and the light of the gospel, you and I have fellowship one with another. There's unity in God's church. And the world needs to see something different. You know, um, pastor spoke to, his name was Doug, I believe, to a man that, that was, was looking for genuine truth. The world is so confused. There's this, this, this movement of... of um, what do they call it? Well, there's no absolute truth. Um, what's the word I'm thinking? What's that? No, it, relativism. Thank you. That's the fancy word I was thinking of. <laughs> but uh, they push this idea of relativism where there is no absolute truth. They did that when I went to Wake Tech. I took, I took a, um, a, I forget what it was. It was some type of, of, of um, like thinking class to help you know supposedly think better. And, and reason through things, but it was, it, was, it was a ridiculous class because the whole gist of it was we need to be more minded and, and accept other people's truth. And I, I couldn't stand it. I got into some good conversations with my teacher. But, <laughs> but it, there is truth, and the world is in so much confusion. They're walking in, in darkness, complete darkness. They need the light of the gospel. And when they come into our church, they ought to sense unity of truth. Not your truth, not your truth, but it's, it's our truth. It's God's truth. That's what we follow. That's what we obey. Because it's absolute. It does not change. 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verses 14 through 17 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And this is speaking really with marriage. 
but for what uh, fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. And God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Christ said, if you come out from among them, you follow after righteousness. If, if you touch not the unclean thing, get rid of your idols. You know, you will be a light. I will, I will fellowship with you. But Revelations tells us, when he's speaking to the churches, he says, I'll remove my candlestick from you. If you don't, if you don't separate from your wicked idols, if you don't you know, pursue the love that you once had, over and over as we've been going through all the churches, there is a danger of Christ leaving his church. And, you know, if there's disunity of, 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 of truth even in, in God's church, it's, it's dangerous. You know, the Bible tells us there's not to be any schism in the body at all. And it, it's the body of Christ. God's church is the body of Christ. And when it's talking about schism in the body, that's like, that's like saying if I were to break my foot or break my leg, my body cannot operate the way it's supposed to operate. If you believe something and you believe something, and, it, and there, I'm not, no, I'm not saying we can't have different beliefs on, on you know, I'm talking about gospel truth. You know, if pastor likes, if pastor likes, you know, Apple and I like, you know, Android or whatever, that's fine. If you pull for the Packers and so-and-so pulls for the Patriots or whatever, that's fine. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about God's word. I'm talking about truth. There must be, there must be unity of belief. And it's, it's centered. It's, and it's not even about the things that pastor sets or the things that you know, the deacons set with pastor or what's voted upon. It's not about that. It's not about what I believe. It's not about what Amber believes, what Pastor believes. It's about what God's Word says. That's what is important. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 says, The Lord builds His church. Uh, look over at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, uh, starting in verse 11, it says, speaking to the church, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God into a perfect man, into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth and love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual work 
working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. So God is the one that has constructed his church. Paul told, we're going to look at later, we know that, that, not Paul, Jesus told Peter, he said, I will build my church. And it's going to be, a found, it's going to be founded upon Christ. And that word build, it has to do, there's several different, it has to do with edification, it means construction. And according to this, this verse, or this passage here, it says, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. God has, has given us the members that we need as a church to function as we're supposed to function. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some teachers, some evangelists for the perfecting of the saints, for the edifying of the body of Christ so that we can do the work in the ministry so that we can be a light in this dark world that we live in. So what are some ways that we can learn to be unified? We see, most importantly, we're unified by following God's word. You know, we're compared to a, a lampstand in God's word. And a lampstand, it's different than most lamps today. It had to, be, it had to have fuel, oil to fuel it. So if we're going to be a light, you know, and, and even in Bible times, there wasn't electricity. <laughs> Most of their light was derived from fires. Well, I mean, all of their light, I guess, would have been derived from fires. And you have to fuel a fire. And for us, if we want to be a light, if we want to truly be what we call ourselves a lighthouse in this community, we have to, we have to fuel that fire with God's word. The book of Revelation tells us the church is compared to a lampstand, and the lampstand needed a continual oil. So, and, and even, you know, if you were to remove sunlight, our bodies need sunlight to be able to grow. Plants need sunlight to be healthy and to be able to grow and, and to, 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 to survive. If you were to take away that sunlight, you'd have death. It would all die. It would all die. Well, God is our light. If you were to take away Christ, the Lord is the one that holds us all together. He's the one that holds this church together. And if you were to take away, you know, if, if this church began to be governed by man's opinion, it, it, would, it would fall apart. It wouldn't be a church anymore. We must feed ourselves with God's word, God's truth. And we know the oil in God's word is, speaks of the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit speaks through God's word. We know that. We know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it was, it was through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so one way that we can be unified is, is simply by, by feeding ourselves, studying God's word and, and determining whatever God's word says, that's what we're going to follow. Second, uh, 1 Timothy 3.15 says, But if I tarry long, thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. This church, this the, the body of Christ is the ones is the one that determines what truth is. It's the one that interprets God's word. Therefore, it, it our pastor, the one who teaches us, and our teachers, and us as a body, the the, past, the the church is not just made up of pastor and of the deacons. It's made up of all of us, and we all need to be be fueling that fire and feeding ourselves. Because it's and studying out and examining, because we as a church we're the ones that are determined what what 
the, what truth is. We are the pillar and ground of truth. God, God said that. So, if, and if we're following that, there's unity. Uh, Colossians 1.18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. He is to be preeminent in this church, first and foremost. And in, even in our daily lives, we talk, we talk, I use the term church. The church is made up of you. It's made up of me. And we are personally responsible for the church and how the church functions. So we must study. We must know what truth is. We must have a unity about that truth. We shouldn't have you know, strifes among us, schisms in the body. You believe one thing and, sh and, and she believes one thing. and It, it shouldn't be that way. It's not how, that's not how, how the church is supposed to function. I mean, is there any confusion in Christ? No. The church is the body of Christ. And for there to be confusion, what is that, what is that doing to Christ's body? But a second way that we can be unified is by following our pastor. We've been given a leader, someone to, to study the Word of God, to tell us what it says. 1 Thessalonians, back at our text, starting in verse 12 through 15. Let me get back over there. It says... Starting in verse 12, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient to all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves into all men. So we're going to define a couple terms here. It says, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. Well, there's, there's more than, than pastor that just labors among us. There's our deacons, there's our teachers. Nathan labors among us. Brother Howard labors among us. But then it goes on, it says, and are over you. Well, that's pastor. That's not, that's not Brother Howard. That's not Brother Robert Smith. That's not me. That's our pastor. He is our shepherd, and we're going to see that Christ is the great shepherd, but our pastor is our shepherd. And it says to esteem them very highly um, and admonish you. To admonish means to warn, to caution, to reprove. And it says to esteem them very highly. I looked that word up. Very highly, it's an unexpressible term. It means exceeding abundantly. It's inexpressible. We're supposed to esteem our pastor exceeding abundantly. That, that means a lot. And that's not, you know, it's not man's worship. That's what God's word says that we're to do. And people are afraid of that for some reason. I don't understand that. People are afraid to, 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 follow, to follow a man that God's put them over at. I don't, I don't get that. God's put them over you. But anyway. Um, and it, it goes on. It says, 
and we exhort you, brethren, and that's the whole church again, to warn them that are unruly. That word unruly means disobedient, out of order, out of control. People that aren't in their proper place. <laughs> that's what that's talking about. You know, if, you, if, you, if there's people saying, well, you know, talking to one another, oh, I don't, I don't agree with what pastor said about, <laughs> about this and this doctrine. And they're not, they're not, that is dangerous. That ought not to be. That is dangerous. We're to no, we're to we're, we're to we're to esteem him very exceeding abundantly highly. That's a word, exceeding abundantly highly. But and it says, be at peace among yourselves. No, if we're following, if we're following, if we're following Brother Howard, if we're following Pastor, and Brother Robert. All three of us, well, you know, men disagree on, on some things, you know, and that's okay. Like I said, you know, we're not, I'm not saying that, that there isn't supposed to be any disagreement whatsoever. But when we're talking about Bible doctrines and we're talking about truth and we're talking about the way we interpret God, God's word, you know, if we're following all three, there's going to be different opinions there, right? You know, if, if you're following, if Everybody's opinion matters in the church. I know a lot of churches are governed that way. A lot of Sunday schools are governed that way. They all just get together and, well, let's, just, let's read God's word together and find out what it means together. No, <laughs> that's not how the church operates. And it's saying, what he's saying there is those that are unruly, those that are not, those that are not in their proper place in the church, he says to warn them, to tell them, hey, no, we're supposed to be following our pastor. We're supposed to be following our leader, and it's not—it's not just to come up to them and be and, and you know sharp rebuking them. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you? I've seen that done. That's that's not how things are supposed to be done in God's church. It says we're supposed to be patient toward all men, support the feeble-minded. It goes on, but we are to warn them, and it's—that's what love is. And then it goes on. It says. The feeble-minded, which means little-spirited, faint-hearted, and there's the weak. But be patient. <laughs> That's a big one. There's a lot of pastors that aren't patient. I'm thankful we have a patient pastor. I'm thankful when Pastor Webb, when I first came, we had a, <laughs> I'm glad Pastor Webb was patient with me. Because <laughs> there was a lot. I, I know that he just wanted to say that. You know, I mean, he could have just flat up told me, no, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> and he didn't. <laughs> And I'm thankful for that. I remember when I told him I wanted, I had a desire to be in the ministry. I told him I wanted to go to Pensacola Christian College. <laughs> and he, he didn't, he didn't pull me, he didn't tell me, no, you shouldn't go there. <laughs> no, he, as I began, as he began to teach me the local church and, and, and shepherd, like he'd be patient towards me, you know, then I began to understand. So, you know, pastors be patient with, I'm thankful we have a patient pastor. And we're supposed to be patient towards one another. You know, we're all in this together. This is the body of Christ. There ought to be unity. There ought to be love. But you know, a lot of times getting rebuked, pastor could tell me, which he might at the end of this message, what you said here was not right. <laughs> perfectly fine. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. That's good. That's healthy. That's what you want in a church. If, you have, if pastors ever come up to you and told you, hey, I don't necessarily, you know, agree with what you're doing here. Thank the Lord for that. That is so good. There's too many pastors 
that, that don't care, that it, it's easier for a pastor to stand by and sit on the pew and, or, and to get up and preach every Sunday and every Thursday it would be here. And that, that's his job is to get up and preach. But to have a man of God to shepherd the flock, to care for you, and, and to love you enough to come tell you that, hey, you know, you're doing something wrong here. You ought to appreciate that. And it's not an attack. <laughs> That's not an attack. The pastor can hold me to that after this message. <laughs> <laughs> but we are to follow our pastor. Um, and the outcome of that is unity. Uh, look at Philippians 3. I need to hurry. This happens every time. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. It says, Paul said, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal it unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Paul's saying, hey, really what he's saying here." As I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God, as I pursue after righteousness, as I pursue after the things I have been commanding you, follow me. As you see me doing, do as I do. Follow me. That's really what he's saying. In verse, verse 15, he says, Let us therefore, as any be perfect, be thus minded. As, I'm, as I am pursuing Christ, pursue Christ with me. Be thus minded. We're all in this together. And it said, if, if anybody be, it says, um, if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal it unto you. He will reveal it. That's comforting. If you're honest with yourself, you're honest with, with God's word, the Lord, the Lord is good, he's gracious, he's merciful. And he'll, you know, if you're out of place with something or you're not lined up with something just right, he'll reveal it unto you. I'm thankful for the, the message we heard tonight on, on God's leading. That was wonderful. We can know God's will. But it says, of course, when it talks about rule, it's talking about in verse 16, let us walk by the same rule. That's, that's standard, the same boundary. Our standard's God's word. And it said, um, let us, us mind. It really means to entertain the same opinion. So there ought to be unity. And there's, you know, and Paul, really what Paul is saying is, is that as you see me pursuing Christ, you know, there's unity in that. And again, over in um, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 6 says, Paul said, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Now, a lot of people would find that very offensive for, for a man to get up and say, follow me. <laughs> but Paul was following Christ. He could say that. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be ye followers of me, even as, even as I also am of Christ. You know, we're to follow our pastor. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Well, for the sake of time, I won't turn there. But Peter, Peter there was, he was eating with the, eating with the Gentiles. And when the Jews came, you know, he separated himself from the Gentiles. You know, that doesn't look good, right? You know, you're not supposed to be eating with Gentile dogs. So he said, and, and Paul, Paul, it says he, he came out to him, he confronted him, and before them all, 
and says, he, he, rebuked, he rebuked Peter. Peter, what you're doing here is wrong. Now, a lot of people would find that, man, that's, that's very offensive. <laughs> but, you know, pastor could get up here, what he say before you, oh, what he said is wrong. That's okay. You know, praise the Lord for that. And, you know, I'm sure Peter, Peter loved the Lord. And I'm sure that hurt. I'm sure that might have been embarrassing. But Peter loved Paul. You look later on in, in First and Second Peter. Peter loved Paul. He looked. At, he looked up to him. Our pastor is over us in the Lord. Verse twelve tells us that in our text, and we are to see him very highly. First in uh, John twenty-one, Jesus told Peter three times, "Feed my sheep, feed my sheep." 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4 says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am, who am also an elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not with filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being as in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, shepherd shall appear, you shall receive the crown of glory that fadeth not away. Our pastor, he is the shepherd of his flock. And as we, you know, as pastors studied Psalm, we learned what, what the shepherd's responsibility is. Sometimes the shepherd has to discipline. Sometimes the, the, sh the shepherd has to get up and say, hey, you're not doing this right, and that hurts. Sometimes the shepherd has to pull the sheep and say, hey, you know, even sometimes, as we heard, Shepherd had to break break a, a lamb's leg or a sheep's leg. That that's hurt. That that hurts, but it's for its own good. And there's several comparisons. The pastor is, is to shepherd the flock, but he's to do it as an example. And really, the pastor represents. He really represents Christ. Part of it. And he's supposed to be the example to us all. I'm thankful our pastor is. I'm thankful our pastor studied God's word, cares for us. But Peter, our pastors, cannot feed us what we won't eat. As pastor gets up and preaches, you can... You can hear and hear and hear and hear, but if you don't accept that for yourself, the pastor can't force things down your throat. And as a church, as we're growing together in truth and love towards one another, we ought to all, we ought to all be accepting the, the food that our shepherd gives us, that our pastor gives us as he's following Christ. The conclusion is God will complete the work that he is doing in us. Look at verses 23 through 24 of our text. This is very encouraging. It says, And the very God of peace sanctify you. And this is, he's speaking to the church here at Thessalonica. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless into the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Well, it's, it's verse 24, he will do it. Faithful is he that calleth you. The Lord's called us to do the work 
of, of really of him as the body of Christ, being the light of the world, being his light, representing him, being a lighthouse in our community. And he says, he says he'll perform the work that he's called us to do. He's, he's, he's going to present us blameless one day before Christ. You know, as, as a father would present his daughter to a husband, that's, Christ is going to present his church blameless, unspotted, pure, holy, righteous. He will perform it if we're faithful. If we're faithful. It's not, it's not easy. It's not doesn't just come. And when in Matthew 16, verse 18, when Jesus said he would build the church, the word means he'll construct it to edify it. He will embolden it. He will do it. He says, I will build my church. Not maybe, not hopefully. He says he will build it. And verse 20, that word that we see power that Christ gives us, it says, um, let's see, Verse, verse 20. That's not right. I don't know where that's supposed to be. Maybe it's in Ephesians chapter 3. But anyway, the word power, it says mighty work. The word means, it means dunamis. It's where we get our, our word dynamite from. It means mighty work and power. Verse 2, it says, um, where am I supposed to be at? Yeah, it's in... It's in Ephesians chapter 3. Yes, in Ephesians chapter 3, I believe it's in verse 21, it says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, and to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. That word power, that mighty work, power, the word, the word worketh in that verse is energo, energeo. It means active, effectual. And the word glory is, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but it's, it looks like doxa. It means very apparent, dignity, honor, and praise and worship. Very apparent. You know, we hang the banner, the hymn, be glory in the church. Glory in the church. It means very apparent, reverence, honor, glory, worship, praise. When others come into, into this church, they ought to see us as the light of the world, unified in truth. And it should represent and be giving God honor, glory, worship, and praise. That's what it's all about. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about my opinion, your opinion. It's about truth. It's about following God's word and doing the work he's commanded us to do. And he will accomplish that. He's promised us. The Lord is faithful. And I'm thankful to be a part of this church. You know, pastor didn't ask me to preach this message. <laughs> it's just something the Lord laid on my heart. I, I, I'm thankful. We, as far as I know, we're, this is a great church. <laughs> I'm so thankful for our church. I'm so thankful for the people that we have here. And I don't know what the Lord has in store for us. We're relatively small. But the Lord will complete the work that he's doing in us. And we can bring the Lord honor, glory, reverence, and and people, people can know that when they walk in here. It, will be, it should be apparent. I believe it is apparent. We're different. 
pastor.